Welcome to Living Stones Church. We pray that this message impacts and touches your heart in such a great way. Enjoy the message. Oh, man, it is a beautiful day. And um, like Pastor AJ and Pastor Sarah were saying, I just wanted to give you an update on Pastor Justin. He landed. He, we dropped him off at, we left our house at 8 a.m. for him to start his journey. That was on Friday morning. And then he texted me this morning at 530. Uh, well, actually, he got in yesterday about 1 o'clock and then had another flight to go to a different island and then got in a couple hours later and then he texted me at 5.30 this morning saying he was finally able to lay down and go to sleep and he is having a blast already and experiencing new and exciting things and um, tomorrow, or today but he's tomorrow, um, he's going to be um, going to minister to people in jail and military personnel and it's going to be amazing so I can't wait for you guys to hear um, what God does through all of that it's going to be incredible who is ready for the word this morning you guys ready if you want to follow along um, it is in the bible app um, the Version bible app but also um, the living stones app I couldn't think of what our app was called but it's right there um, yeah, so it's in the Living Stones app under events, um, and you guys can cheat and kind of follow along, and there's a ton of scripture today, so you might want to to do that. But we're going to be spending most of our time in Acts 6 and 7, so if you want to turn to Acts, um, you can do that. Who is excited for the 4th of July? Who stays home on the 4th of July? Who goes and watches fireworks? Who goes to Ronald Reagan Sports Park? Where do you go? Oh, Lake Elsinore, okay, see, fun. Who, who like doesn't do anything? Who has a barbecue? Yeah, okay, all right, all right. See, and we were, we were um, super fortunate because we live within walking distance of where they do the Menifee fireworks and they always do it a week before. So we never have to like deal with the crowds and the, you know, all the things. So, and Lynette, I see the sun on your back, so if you want to move, you are more than welcome to do that. I will not be offended, so not to call you out, but I'm just letting you know I see you. All right, you guys ready? All right, let's pray. God, um, we just ask, Lord, that you would just speak to us through your word today, God, that you would help us to have ears to hear and a heart to receive, Lord, what, what it is that you want us to, to hear and to have from you today, God, that, that we would be able to... Um, hear maybe words that maybe we never understood before or, or could receive before, God, in a, in a new way, in a new light. And so, God, we just give you today, God, help me to be a vessel um, and a delivery person for you, God. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen. All right. So we're going to pick up in Acts 6, and we're going to read the whole chapter. It's only 15 verses. Calm down, everybody. Okay. You guys ready? Okay. It says, but as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve called a meeting of all the believers, and they said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food pro program. And so, brothers, select seven men who are well well-respected and are full of the spirit and wisdom. 
we will give them this responsibility. Then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. Can someone say discipleship? Right? That we could spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. That is the priority. Do you hear that in that scripture? This is not in my notes, but that is in scripture right there. Discipleship is the priority. Everything else is secondary. It doesn't mean it's less important and shouldn't be done, but it, it, discipleship should come first. So picking up in verse 5, everyone liked this idea, and they chose the following. i got to fix my notes because it's annoying me. Okay. Good. Okay. <laughs> All right, so they chose the following. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas of Antioch, an earlier convert to the Jewish faith. These seven were presented to the apostles who prayed for them as they laid their hands on them. So God's message continued to be spread, or continued to spread. You see that? They appointed them, they laid hands on them, and then they went back to what they were doing. So God's word and God's message could continue to be spread. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem, and many of the Jewish priests were converted too. So we see in this first part, we're going to keep going here in a second, but we see in this first part, basically the Greek-speaking Jews and the um, Hebrew-speaking Jews had this quarrel happening, because basically what happened is in the early church, even though Jesus said, take the gospel out to the ends of the earth, do all this, there was this inclusion that was still happening. There was this, um, the food distribution was still kept within the, the main group. Does that make sense? And so there was this quarrel of like, hey, you guys aren't like equally distributing the food, and so we have a problem with this. So the 12 said, okay, we see that. Let's get somebody. We need many hands to make light work, right? So maybe it was a capacity problem. Maybe they just didn't have people in order to be able to take it to those people, right? So they elected seven people to distribute the food so that everyone could be happy and they could keep doing what they're doing. You guys see that? Make sense? Okay. All right, so picking up in verse 8. So Stephen, he was one of the ones that was elected, um, to distribute the food. So Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed amazing miracles and signs among the people. But one day, some men from the synagogue of freed slaves, as it was called, so another church, started to debate with him. They were Jews from Cyrene, Alexandria, Cicilina, Cilicia? Cilicia, thank you. I said that right at home, but not here, of course. Cilicia, in the province of Asia, None of them could stand against the wisdom and the spirit with which Stephen spoke. Amen. So they persuaded some men to lie about Stephen, saying, We heard him blaspheme Moses and even God. This roused the people and the elders and the teachers of religious law. So they arrested Stephen and brought him before the high council. The lying witnesses said, This man is always speaking against the holy temple and against the law of Moses. The accusation seems quite familiar. They had just done this with Jesus. They elected people to lie, saying that he was blaspheming Moses and the law. And so I think there's this quarrel, there's this, there's this group of people that believe what happened with Jesus happened with Jesus. They saw, they converted, they understood, and then there's still a group that is still in denial that anything has changed. And so there's this quarrel, and so... 
you know, even in today's world, we see so much persecution against the Christian church, against the Christian religion. Why is that? Why can you be a Buddhist and nobody's like, oh my gosh, blah. Why can you, like, and I'm not downing any other religion. I'm just saying there's so much attack against the Christian belief. Why is that? Because the enemy isn't concerned about knocking down something that, not, that is not true. He is wanting to break down and tear down something that is true, that is the truth. And this happened from the very beginning of the church. There was, there was these people who said, I'm going to do whatever I can to take down Jesus with this accusation. And did it work? Yep, he went to the cross. He was murdered, right? And we know the end of that story. He, didn't, he defied death, right? And so he had the, this final say, right? But these pe same people are saying, okay, this man is always speaking against the holy temple and against the law. So if these accusations work before, let's see if they can work again, right? So verse 14 says, we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nav Nazareth will destroy the temple and change the customs Moses handed down to us. At this point, everyone in the high council stared at Stephen because his face became as bright as an angel's. Okay, so when it says his face became as bright as angels, that was basically God's endorsement. If you read through God's word, anytime someone is glowing or their face is shining like an angel, that is God's signal to everyone, all the witnesses of, I, I'm endorsing this person. Pay attention. Listen up. This is, this is my messenger, right? So, so Stephen was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was respectable. He was elected. He had a worthy reputation, right? And yet he served where? At the food bank. He didn't have some fancy title. He wasn't given like this elite position, right? He served at the food bank. Nothing should be below us as Christians, right? God can be used powerfully wherever we are. Right? And so God can do bold things with those who are filled with the Holy Spirit and who are willing to serve, right? So he performs, uh, Stephen performs signs and wonders. And when others tried to debate him, the wisdom and the spirit that was within him could not be disputed, right? It said back up in um, verse 10 none of them could stand against the wisdom and the spirit with which Stephen spoke, right? Because it wasn't him speaking, he was just a vessel. Right? They couldn't argue with the truth. They, they had nothing. They tried. They certainly tried. But when he, brought, when he was brought into the Jewish, Jewish court and his face lit up and he had God's endorsement, what do you think the response of religious leaders was? Do you think that they were like, oh, well, this surely is a man of God. <laughs> right? I mean, we know the story, right? But my first point before we go any further is I can serve boldly with God's spirit. I want you guys to know that you can serve boldly wherever God has you. Maybe you aren't sure where God has you, so ask him. He will put you somewhere. He will show you where he has you. At Sisterhood this last um, time, we talked about the places that God has us and how powerful that is. But if you have God's spirit, he can use you boldly wherever you go and whatever you do. So let's turn to Acts 7, okay? We're not going to read this whole chapter, but I am going to kind of recap it, okay? So at the beginning of Acts 7, the religious, religious leaders basically say, is this true? Are these accusations true? And so Stephen takes a deep breath and basically preaches this brilliant 
sermon that encompasses pretty much the Old Testament. He goes through Abraham and Joshua and Moses and I mean, he, he talks about all of these things, and as he's doing this, he is recalling all of the times God's chosen one has been resisted by the ancestors of Abraham. And who is he talking to right now? The ancestors of Abraham, right? So this is a personal message for them, right? And he's not saying this because he's angry with them. He's saying this because he doesn't want them to miss what God is doing, right? He is speaking the truth with love right? So he's recounting all of these things, talking about um, Moses and how he spoke prophetically that there was a prophet coming and how they resisted what he was saying. And they, even to the point of, they wanted to go back to Egypt, back to slavery, back to their, what was familiar to them, right? You ever had the truth spoken to you? And you're like, eh, I, I think I'm good where I'm at. Like, I think I want to go back to what's familiar, what I know. I'm scared to go to what's next because it's unfamiliar. This is, this is territory I don't know about. So this is scary, right? So it makes sense, but they're missing it, right? So time and time again, the people resisted the new thing God was doing, and they weren't able to experience God to the fullest, right? So now Stephen sees this happening again with the current religious leaders. So we pick up in verse 44. It says, hey man, how's it going? Somebody's camping. Um, so it says in verse 44, our ancestors carried the tabernacle with them through the wilderness. So the tabernacle, just to give you some context, the tabernacle was essentially to them the presence of God. Okay, so it says tabernacle, but just think presence of God, okay? Um, even though he's omnipresent, but to them, it was a, a more closer relation to the presence of God. Does that make sense? Kind of confusing. I understand. I get it. Okay, through the wilderness. It was constructed according to the plan God had shown Moses. Years later, when Joshua led our ancestors in battle against the nations that God drove out of this land, the tabernacle was taken with them into the new territory and it stayed there until the time of King David. David found favor with God and asked for the privilege of building a permanent temple for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who actually built it. However, the whole, Most High doesn't live in temples made by human hands. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Could you build me a temple as good as that, asked the Lord? Could you build me such a resting place? Didn't my hands make both heaven and earth? I, I heard this scripture in a different way when I was reading it because of what God's doing in us and in this church right now that we have said for years, but seeing it in scripture, man, God doesn't reside in a church. He resides in his creation. He created the heavens and the earth, Right? And we keep trying to put them in a box, keep trying to put them in these four walls, a tabernacle, right? People think they have to go to church to be able to experience God's presence, but that's not true. That's not true. We're going get, to get there here in a minute, but that's not true. So Stephen is trying to make this point. So he continues in verse 51 that says, you stubborn people. He's talking to the religious leaders here, right? So he's in Jewish court, basically, and he's talking to the ones that have the power 
essentially, according to their world, right? So you stubborn people, you are heathen at heart and deaf to the truth. Some translations say stiff-necked, unable to look this way or look this way. They're just stiff-necked, hard-hearted, deaf to the truth. Must you forever resist the Holy Spirit? That's what your ancestors did, and so do you. Name one prophet your ancestors didn't persecute. They, ki- they even killed the ones who predicted the coming of the righteous one. The Messiah, whom you portrayed and murdered, you deliberately disobeyed man's law, even though you received it from the hands of angels. So you see these leaders, he's trying to help them to see you are too attached to your tradition. You're too attached to familiarity. You are missing it. You're missing what God is trying to do here. These religious people, even the ones who brought Stephen to court, they were worshiping the temple more than they were worshiping God. Do you understand? They put more value on the temple than they did what was supposed to be residing in the temple, what they thought was residing in the temple, right? They followed the law more than the spirit of the law. That's what Jesus talked about. He talked about it's not the law, it's the spirit of the law. It's like they went one in, in one year and out the other. They didn't hear it. They didn't see it, right? In Matthew um, 15, verse 8, it says that um, Jesus is talking about um, how these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me, right? You can say all the right things. You can quote scripture. You can, you know, wear the, the priest coverings and, you know, have an important position, thinking you're doing great things for the Lord, but maybe your heart's far from him, right? He's, he's not so concerned about titles. He's concerned about your heart, right? And this is what Stephen is trying to help them to see. Surrender your position, your stature, your reputation, your status, and give your whole heart to what Jesus is doing. So we continue in verse 54. It says, the Jewish leaders were infuriated by Stephen's accusation, and they shook their fists at him in rage. How dare right? But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven. (laughs) Turn to your neighbor and say, that is holy confidence, right? Can you imagine? They are infuriated, angry, disgusted by what he just said, shaking their fists at him, and he's like, like, I am focused. I have my eyes set on Jesus So he gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God. And he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And he told them, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. Okay, guys, this is about to be my drop from the word of God, okay? He says he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Now, if you... Remember, in in Hebrews, um, for example, the latter part of uh, verse 1-3, it says, when he had cleansed, speaking of Jesus, when he had cleansed us from our sins, he sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. So now Stephen's looking into heaven, and he sees him standing up. Jesus is literally, he not only made him glow and said, I give you my endorsement, but now he's standing up. He's giving him a standing ovation, literally. Like, like, keep going. 
right? But if he would have put his head down in shame or embarrassment, he would have missed it. But he stood there steadily gazing into heaven. And Jesus is literally standing at the right hand of God saying, I, I approve this. I'm with you, buddy. I am with you. I'm with you. So, so good. So, he says, I see Jesus standing. And do the leaders say, oh, no. Oh, I see. Okay. All right, Jesus. Uh, oh, oh, well, Jesus is now in the picture. So, no, they just murdered him. So, they don't really seem phased by that. But again, they think, you're blaspheming our God. You're blaspheming Moses by these words saying that you see God. You see Jesus. So, in verse 57, they put their hands over their ears and begin shouting. They rushed at him and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Literally, how immature. Like, they didn't want to hear it. They didn't want to see it. And then they wanted to shut him up. So they dragged him out and they began to stone him. His accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul, which if you continue reading, you see that this is the first time that we see Saul, who is later, well, he ends up persecuting tons of Christians until Jesus gets his attention and he converts and is renamed Paul and becomes the author of many, many books that we read and the truth that we know today. So just because someone is involved in something now doesn't mean God can't redeem them later, right? His hand is never too short. So he said, let's um, go back to, so they put the, the garments at the feet of Saul, verse 59. As they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. I think a lot of us would probably say, like, just take me now, God. <laughs> right? He fell to his knees, and the last thing he said on this earth was, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. I just, amazing, amazing. When persecution comes, a lot of us respond the way these leaders did. We plug our ears, cover, you know, shout, ah, I don't want to hear it. We run the other way, right? Or we're angry, or we cut that person off, I don't want to hear it, you know, or leave your church because, you know, somebody said something that you just don't agree with, and, like, we're adults. Let's have some conversation and get through the truth together. Let's get through the truth together. So the next point is, I will boldly surrender for God's truth. <laughs> when we surrender, we acknowledge that we don't know it all. God could be doing something different that maybe I just haven't accepted yet, right? These religious leaders, they felt exposed. They felt threatened when Jesus was teaching. And now Stephen, right, is speaking with boldness and authority, and that was intimidating to them. They didn't like it. Even though Stephen was speaking truth and love, right, just like Jesus did, but the people refused to hear it. They closed their ears, started shouting, but how many of us do that when God's trying to help us? Right? Maybe it's coming through a Stephen. 
Maybe it's coming through that just unction you have, like, oof, right? Maybe it's that we need to adjust some of our actions. Maybe it's that we need to follow him. Maybe it's that we need to repent, acknowledge the wrong that we've done, and turn from it. Maybe we need to acknowledge the new thing he's doing and quit being so stinking stubborn. <laughs> I'm preaching to myself right now, right? I can't tell you how stubborn I am sometimes. And really, it's rooted in fear. That's really what it is, if we're honest with ourselves. But when we navigate this life with pride and arrogance, stubbornness and fear and anger and unforgiveness, we choose to forfeit what God wants to do in us and through us. We're choosing to forfeit what God is doing. When we are stubborn, when we are prideful, when we are anger, when we can't forgive, when we can't show grace and mercy, we're forfeiting the fullness that God has for us. I can't tell you how many times I wish my kids would just, you know, pick up their toys off the floor so that they have a safe fire exit, you know? Like, I'm just trying to help them. Like, if, if there's a fire, I don't want you to be tripping over the things on your floor. Like, at least make a pathway for yourself, right? <laughs> right? But they don't understand. They don't understand that all of those things, they think those are just, this is just how it is. That's how I was as a kid. I'm like, oh, I love having a dirty room because then when I, you know, find something, it's like Christmas all over again. I haven't seen this in months, right? I love that. I thought that was the coolest thing. And I mean, poor, my poor mom. I mean, she suffered. <laughs> I gave her plenty of opportunity to have a prayer life, for sure. Um, but my kids, they think that all of this mess is fine. But what I see is how it's hindering them, right? It's hindering them. There's a better way. When persecution comes, do we respond with anger, like these religious people? Or do we respond with mercy and grace, like we see Stephen doing here in his dying breath? saying, Lord, don't judge them for this sin. With grace and mercy, even though he was the one being persecuted and attacked, that is holy confidence. I mean, with an undisputed boldness, knowing God's truth, right? Undisputed. So say it again, I will boldly surrender for God's truth. God's undisputed truth, right? All right, so we are going to dive a little bit deeper into Colossians. We're going to go to Colossians. So Colossians 1, starting in verse 19. Give me a second while you're turning there. Okay, so track with me here. It's going to look like we're taking a detour, but I promise we're going to bring it back, okay? So Colossians 1, starting in verse 19. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you, who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. 
just like Stephen was doing. <laughs> He's standing there in holy confidence, knowing I, am, I have the endorsement from God. I see that God is approving what I'm doing. And so they can say whatever they want to say, but I'm not moving. I know what I'm supposed to be doing. I know the truth in my heart. And I want to encourage you, when God speaks something to you, don't let anyone rob you of it. Don't let them. They haven't been through what you've been through. They haven't heard what you've heard. They haven't seen what you've seen. Maybe they will, but their journey is their journey. So if they don't understand what you're doing, I can't tell you, you know, when we said we're taking the church out of the building, we had more people telling us what a bad idea that was than we did have people telling us, wow, way to follow God. That should be our response when somebody, even if we think it's insane and, oh my gosh, you are a dum-dum, right? If that's what we think, we don't know. We can't say what God has spoken to them. We don't know. So when someone says God is saying this, you encourage them in that. That, is, that should be our response. Stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. The good news has been preached all over the world, and I, Paul, remember when we talked about Saul? So now this is Paul who's writing this, has been appointed as God's servant to proclaim it. Appointed, I love that word. Appointed, as if there's an assignment, right? Appointed, there's a task at hand here. So Jesus paved a clear path for us not to only receive reconciliation, but to boldly enter into his presence, okay? So let me explain this a little bit further. So in Jerusalem, well, let me back up. So you heard the tabernacle, right? The tabernacle went here, went there, went into the promised land, did all this, right? Okay, and then ultimately it had a final resting place, if you will, in the middle of Jerusalem, okay? So understanding the culture will help us to kind of understand this next chunk of scripture, okay? So the tabernacle was brought into a temple that was put in the middle of Jerusalem, okay? And this temple had three distinct areas, okay? So there was the outer court, which is where the priests um, and Levites and all, they would preach, okay? That's where they would do their teaching. That's where sacrifices would be brought. That's where the people would go to do what they needed to do to fulfill the law, okay? Inside, only priests were allowed to go into this place called the holy place, okay? The holy place. Only priests were allowed to go in there, okay? And there were certain things in there. There's a, a lamp in there. There was uh, incense, and then there was a loaf of bread, and only the priests were allowed to eat the loaf of bread, okay? Um, which, by the way, they all of those things signified God to them, God's presence. They felt that was um, stepping into the presence of God like they knew Moses did and stepping into the cloud, if you will, right? So the bread, the lamp, the smoke, all of those things were in place, okay? And then there was a curtain. And behind that curtain was a place called the most holy place. So we have the outer court, the holy place, and the most holy place, okay? But the most holy place and the holy place were separated by a curtain, a physical, like heavy, probably velvet curtain, okay? I'm sure it says in the scripture what it was made out of. 
and I apologize, I didn't look it up, but I think it's velvet. Anyways, that room was only entered into one day out of the year, and that was the Day of Atonement. And so a priest would go into that room and make a blood sacrifice to atone for the sins of the people. Okay? So they would take this blood and they would sprinkle it on the, the altar, essentially, to atone for the sins of the people. This happened one day out of the year. It was the only time that room was ever entered. Okay? So, when Jesus, <laughs> when Jesus died, remember he's talking all about these things. He's talking about how I'm going to destroy the temple and rebuild it. He's literally talking about the temple that they're walking into. He's going to destroy that because it doesn't matter anymore. That's what he's trying to get across to these people, right? Because you don't need now a physical place in order to experience my presence, to be able to atone for your sins. A priest doesn't need to go and do that for you. You can do it by just saying my name and accepting what I did on the cross for you. That's it. Right? So in Hebrews 10, in verse 19, it says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, we boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. So if you remember, when he's hanging on the cross, and just a little geographic perspective, he was walked from the temple all the way down, and then Calvary, the hill of Calvary, was right outside the city walls of Jerusalem, okay? So as he's hanging on the cross, he could look to his left, see the other criminal that was there, right? And just beyond him, he would be able to see the actual temple of Jerusalem, okay? So when he's hanging on the cross and he surrenders his spirit, he gives up his spirit, the physical curtain that was in the temple was split into two, supernaturally, but actually literally, like physically split into two, signifying that there is no more boundaries here. There are no more limitations for us to access who I am, that I came to give you life and life abundantly without restriction. And so when it says in verse 20, by his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. Remember, outer court, holy place, most holy place. That's exactly what he's talking about here, okay? And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, talking about God in heaven, right? Not a priest, not a man, not a pastor, right? Let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. We don't have to wait for some religious person to be able to access God's goodness. It's available to you right now, today, in this moment. Let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, and God can be, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works, and let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. With this freedom, we have abused 
this freedom in so many ways. And I think the Christian community has such a bad reputation, not only because it's the truth, and so there's a lot of accusation that comes against it, right, like we talked about before. But I think it's the people, too, because we use this freedom. We know we're set free, and so it's almost as if we don't account for our sin anymore because we know we're saved. We know that Jesus died for us. doesn't mean that we're going around doing crazy things. I'm not saying that. But I think we've gotten a little bit lazadaisical in our ability to recognize when we need to repent and our ability, in our, I shouldn't say our ability, in our willingness and our desire to want to repent. We just think, you know, Jesus saved us, so I'm good. But we should have this deep desire knowing what Jesus did for us, and we want to continue to do what is right because it's pleasing to him, right? If somebody came and busted you out of jail, wouldn't you feel like, oh, man, like, whatever I can do for you, please, like, tell me where to go. That's what he did, but eternally. <laughs> you guys understand? So my third point is I have undisputed purpose through Jesus. Undisputed purpose through Jesus. When you encounter Jesus, there is an undisputed purpose that comes upon you that now he can use you boldly. Undisputed, like Stephen stood there, right? And this is exactly what Stephen was talking about. He was talking about how the curtain was torn in two. What are you still doing in the temple? Why? Why are you doing this? Why are you persecuting me when there is the gospel to spread, right? This is exactly what he's talking about. So let me give you a few things, okay? So the blood of Jesus gave us undisputed access to his presence, okay? Like I said, when he hung from the cross and the curtain was torn, it symbolized that Jesus was incarnate, that he now was the temple, right? He now is the temple, the fullness of God. So his presence was no longer contained to a building. No longer contained to a building. So I want to ask you, who has been to a concert before? Who's ever had backstage passes? It's the coolest, right? Don't you like, let's pretend this is my backstage pass. It's not, but let's pretend, okay? Like, if this is my backstage pass, have you seen Wayne's World? This is totally not a churchy movie to reference. But that's the thing that came to my head. Okay. So if you had a backstage pass, here's what you're doing. Hey. Check it out, guys. Hey, hey, hey. Right? You would want to know, want everyone to know, I have a backstage pass. And you don't. Right? Like, look at me. Yeah, I'm going through this door. Okay, bye. Right? That is, that is essentially what Jesus did. He gave us an all-access, undisputed path to him, which means we have a backstage pass to everything that God is doing if we have ears to hear and eyes to see. Thank you for joining us today. We hope this message blessed your life in such a powerful way. Come visit us here at Livingstone's Church in person at Dorothy McElhinney Middle School in French Valley, California 
every Sunday at 10 a.m. Pacific time. You can also watch us online on our YouTube channel, Facebook, Church Center, or at livingstones.tv. If God is using this ministry to touch and impact your life, and you would like to consider partnering with us in your giving, you can do so by giving in the Church Center app or by going to livingstones.tv giving. We hope you have a wonderful week.